Welcome to the Inside OU Podcast, brought to you by New Balance of Edmond, featuring Keegan Renault from SoonersWire.com, powered by USA Today, and Brady Trantham. Hello, Brady. Bob Stoops here. Appreciate the great Sooner fan that you are and have been for all these years. Boomer Sooner. Hey, everybody. Weird podcast today. We're going to give you guys the media corner segment, just a little 10 minute, 15 minute splice of my conversation with Jason Kersey from The Athletic. I talked about a few things, TCU, some penalties, and then uh, looked ahead to Texas Tech. I'll, I'll, I'll give you a little bit, but if you want the rest of it, it's available at our Patreon page at www.patreon.com slash inside underscore OU. It's $4 a month for the post game show a handful of other content stuff, and then $5 a month for all that, plus Keegan's film review, and he's currently working on the TCU game. Got most of the first quarter done by now. Give that a look if you liked the Media Corner segment. And then also, another thing I'm starting to work on now is Sooner Flashback Friday. You'll hear that after the Media Corner segment. Something more of a narrative storytelling podcast thing. I like OU history. I like history. Had a lot of fun doing it prior to... Uh, the TCU game on Saturday. I do my best to tie it into this year's team as much as possible, but I enjoyed doing it. Maybe that'll help you guys kind of give the Patreon maybe another little bit of look, uh, but I'll put those out on Friday. Uh, oh, it's called Sooner Flashback Friday. It'll just go up on the same podcast RSS feed as our post game show. And then, of course, after all that, Keegan Renault joins us following Lincoln Riley's press conference in what Lincoln Riley describes as a normal summer day in Oklahoma. So everybody bear with us. Sorry about the uh, audio. Sorry about the tech here and there. Did my best, but enjoy the show. So I went and did a deep dive. Basically, I went through every single play on the play-by-play of OU's five games. And I looked at penalties from every player and I tallied up how many penalties to each player. And then I categorized penalties according to, did this extend a drive or did this kill a drive? Because there is going to be some random penalties that OU either overcomes or just doesn't matter in the grand scheme of things. So overall and for all through five games, OU has 51 penalties in five games. So basically they're getting 10 a game. They had 12 against Kansas State, I think as uh, the most in one single game. I think also 12 against Texas. They had eight against TCU. So of those 51 penalties, Buki Radley-Hiles leads the team individually with eight. And it can be either seven or eight, and you'll probably remember this because one of his penalties was the substitution on the blocked field goal against TCU. So you can chalk that up to coaching, throwing him out there on accident, or maybe he wasn't paying attention. We don't know. So he has eight. No, no, we we actually do know about that one. We actually do know because Lincoln Riley addressed that on his coaching okay. show last night. Um, that was a coaching mistake because – Pat Fields and Theo Weiss were both on the field, and so there were two number 10s. So they were trying to rush Buki in to get one of them out just okay. to stop from a penalty happening. So that's it. that wasn't. So with Buki's okay. seven penalties, all seven of them have extended drives, and six of them have directly led to an opponent's score. And I, I, obviously the, the biggest like the biggest example is going to be Iowa state, Iowa state. He, he directly helped Iowa state score points either because of pass interference or holding Adrian Ely and Tyrese Robinson are second and they both have five each Tyrese Robinson. Probably the easiest, uh, the easiest, easiest example is 
Kansas State, two drive-killing penalties, and then against TCU, his false start led to a 54-yard field goal. Should have been 49-yard field goal. Burkich barely misses it. Um, and then Trey Brown is third on the team with four, and all four of his have extended drives and led to their opponent scoring. So 51 penalties, 22 of which come from four players. And then if you take away, I think it was eight random penalties from players that either don't play because there were a few against Missouri State from players that are either aren't on the team anymore or don't play much. Um, you take away that and then some four or five penalties, probably five since we're going to put the Buki one on the coaching staff due to coaching decisions, strategic delay of games. You're talking about over 50% of the penalties are directly resulting from four guys, from four guys. And to me, Jason, this is not a very good OU team. It's a young, inexperienced team. But you take away four, like a handful of these penalties. And I hate to say this, but OU's 5-0. and o. Yeah, well, I mean, look, that's very interesting research and smart, smart research on your part. Um, that's very interesting about, especially about Buki, because I know people are incredibly frustrated with him right now. I can... <laughs> I know that from my Twitter uh, mentions, but, but no, I mean that it is a real problem. They are not a disciplined team. There's no ifs, ands, or buts about that. I mean, that's been obvious all year. Um, when you look at the way that these penalties are affecting them, I mean, that's why I think there's a really good chance that, that uh, uh, Chris Murray is a starting guard at some point before yeah. the end of the year, which is crazy because we thought that this offensive line was going to be so good and they just, They've been better the last couple of weeks, but they just aren't as good as we thought they were going to be, or as good as I think we as as I think Bill Beatonbow thought they were going to be, because Bill Beatonbow is not a guy who BSs you, and he spent his entire preseason press conference talking about how good he thought they were. Um, so it's been very strange, and uh, that's that's interesting stuff, man. I'm I'm very impressed by that research. Yeah, and look. Um... I've got a lot more. I'll probably just end up sending it to you because, you know, if you like it, you can use it just in your head moving forward with this team. Because again, you had the thought that this team is undisciplined and I, all I'm doing is just, they are, but it's mainly just four guys and it's four guys that are experienced. And that's, that is the, the problem. But the thing is, is OU is just kind of, they're stuck with Buki because his backup, Jeremiah Cradell or Justin Broyles, Cradell just, for whatever reason, just isn't getting playing time. You know, we can chalk that up to maybe just not ready. Maybe it's not clicking. Who knows? Justin Broyles, at this point, we know what type of player he is. He's just he's just not the guy to throw out there if Buki's getting penalties or just having bad play. But Trey Brown, you know, he's losing playing time to Woody Washington. So that that kind of problem is somewhat being corrected. And then with Tyrese Robinson, you know, like you said, Chris Murray is probably m much better in terms of an NFL uh, prospect. And then in his one drive, OU has the longest run of the day against TCU. And then he just kind of comes back out. So you hope for OU that, well, two of those problems are going to go away. So that should help OU have a little bit more margin for error, especially when you consider that they're led by a redshirt freshman quarterback. They've got inexperience all over the place. If they just cut down on these silly penalties that kill drives or extend drives, you're looking at a much different team in terms of win loss record, even though we would probably still think yeah, they're undefeated or they have one loss, but man, this is not as good of a team as we've seen over the last few years. Yeah, I, I would be really interested to, uh, to, to know what their record would be. I mean, I, I agree with you. I think there's a really good chance that they're undefeated. Um, maybe they find another way to lose. If 
they That's don't true. do that though. I mean, I I sort of feel like they were going to lose that that game at Iowa State. That that game felt weird to me from like the second quarter on. Maybe like I I I always sort of I even said to someone in the press box that I, I feel like they're going to blow this. Like this just feels like a game they're going to lose. Kansas State didn't really feel that way. I, I thought they were in pretty good control of that game until they weren't. Um, yeah. But no, it's that's 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 really interesting. Chris Murray. I mean, you mentioned the they have the longest run of the day. That's the second longest run of the season uh, <laughs> with with, with uh, Chris Murray's, and and he's the one that sprung that loose with, with his uh, pull. So, uh, so yeah, I, I would expect Chris Murray's going to be playing a lot more. That that guy's pretty good, I think. Yeah, no question. It's. I mean, I don't know. I kind of agree with the Iowa State thing. I just, going back and looking at the drive charts, looking at the play-by-plays, Trey Brown did gift-wrap them at least seven points, but in my opinion, he gift-wrapped them 10 points off of his, just off of holds because those two holds had nothing to do with the play. They had nothing to do with where uh, Brock Purdy was throwing the ball. He just held on to his man, and on one of them was a third and long in which Brock Purdy got sacked. And then they score a touchdown two plays later, and so, I mean, your point is well taken because, yeah, oh, you could have lost that game in a different way instead of the way that they ended up losing it. And then, of course, with Iowa State, Spencer Rattler made a lot of throws. His guys just didn't catch him. So, again, that kind of helps out your point mm-hmm. there with, yeah, they probably would have just lost that anyway. Kansas State, I keep going back to Tyrese Robinson's either. I think he held or had a false um, – he had two holding calls uh, at the beginning of the fourth quarter. And it just completely killed any momentum, any drive with the offense. And they punted away and Kansas State just kept scoring. So, um, I mean, that that's the thing is when you're dealing with inexperience, lack of discipline, um, you're going to lose tightly contested games. But I guess the hope is that is getting corrected either by replacing players or just by sheer virtue of the players getting more experience. But I guess having knowing all that and what you kind of knew just in your own head, Going into Lubbock, Jason, seven o'clock kickoff night game in Lubbock. I mean, are you expecting anything different? Because this isn't the same type of Texas Tech team that we're accustomed to with OU going to Lubbock over the last two decades. It's not the same, but to me, it's still surprising for this team to go on the road and win. So, like, with that in my mind, I'm just like, I really don't know how to view this game on Saturday. Yeah. Well, one thing, I mean, the, the craziest thing about what you've said is that Buki, Trey Brown, Tyrese Robinson, those three guys have played so much football here. I mean, my goodness, Trey Brown's been starting now for three or four years. Buki's been starting for three years. Tyrese Robinson is in his second year as a starter. Marquise Hayes is in his second year as a starter. It's kind of inexcusable that those are the guys making those kind of mistakes. So that's really surprising um, when when you really think about it. Inexperience mistakes, promise. All three encompass the 2020 Oklahoma Sooners as they head to Fort Worth to take on the TCU Horn Frogs. As Lincoln Riley says, these Sooners are close. Unfortunately, youth and a plethora of other factors have led to Oklahoma taking a 2-2 two two record to Fort Worth. But there is no doubt about the promise of this team. The talent is there. Once that light flicks on, The 2020 Sooners may become the foundation for the next run of great Oklahoma teams. But this isn't the first time an OU squad was led by a young, confident quarterback and walked into a challenge against TCU. Time for Flashback Friday.
September 25, 1954, Norman, Oklahoma, Memorial Stadium. 50,878 fans in attendance. First, some context. The 54 Sooners were attempting to regain ground lost in the wake of the school's first national title in 1950. The 51, 52, and 53 Sooners combined to go 25-4-2 with no bowl appearances or national titles. Two losses to Notre Dame and losing to Texas and Texas A&M in the same season saw OU's late 40s momentum take a bit of a dip. However, the 53 Sooners won their final nine games, including a 7-0 shutout over Maryland in the Orange Bowl, their first bowl win since the 1950 Sugar Bowl over LSU. After opening the 54 season with a road victory over 12th-ranked Cal, number one-ranked Oklahoma had a home date with 20th-ranked TCU the following week. This is where the story gets interesting. History, myth, and urban legend all merged on this day in Sooner history. Oklahoma entered the game with starting quarterback Gene Calamay, but prior injuries and a big hit early in the game forced head coach Bud Wilkinson to go to his cocky yet talented sophomore quarterback in Jimmy Harris. Many of the vets on the team, including bruiser Kurt Burris, didn't believe that a younger player like Harris should have started on this team, but Bud Wilkinson saw a lot of promise in the Terrell, Texas native. On the other side, TCU was 16 years removed from their 1938 national championship with players such as Davey O'Brien, Charles Collins Key Aldridge, and Don Looney. Remember that name for later. In the 16 years in between, TCU fell off into Southwest Conference mediocrity. With that mediocrity came financial pains. For the game against Oklahoma in 1954, TCU was forced to take the train to Norman the day of the game. They even walked the mile distance from the station to the stadium and arrived just minutes prior to kickoff. The first half, however, would suggest that the Sooners arrived to the game nearly tardy. The Horn Frogs led 2-0 as both teams headed to the locker room. Coach Wilkinson was prophetic to his team according to Jim Dents, the undefeated, saying, Men, this is the toughest game we're going to play all season. Win today, and we'll keep winning for a long time. Oklahoma came out at halftime and made a defensive stop, forcing a TCU punt. And this is where Jimmy Harris began his legendary Sooner career. TCU punted all the way to the Oklahoma 31-yard line. Harris recovered it and showcased his speed and athleticism to the 50,000 fans in attendance as he returned it 69 yards for the touchdown. Oklahoma was now on top 7-2. This is where history takes a backseat to urban legend and myth. According to The Undefeated, and basically every sports publication outside of Fort Worth at the time, TCU would respond with a touchdown drive of their own to lead 9-7. The Horn Frogs even capitalized on one of the Sooners' 10 fumbles that day, in which they lost 5, this one coming into the TCU end zone with OU looking to score. Following that turnover, TCU scored once again to lead 16-7 with 10 minutes to go in the fourth quarter. Now in those days, coaches couldn't call plays, so it was inherent on the quarterback to understand the offense so well that he could run the offense during the game according to whatever the defense was doing. With 10 minutes to go, Harris then orchestrated Wilkinson's split T offense to perfection. All runs, no passes. Harris scored on a seven yard touchdown run to help the Sooners pull within 16 to 14. OU's defense then forced another TCU punt. This time, Buddy Leak fielded the punt at the OU 40 and returned it 50 yards to the 10 before Johnny Crouch caught up to him for the tackle. And that's another name to remember. Oklahoma scored on the next play to go ahead 21-16. TCU had one last chance, and they made the most of it. The Horned Frogs drove the field until quarterback Chuck Curtis found Crouch for a 21-yard catch in the end zone as time expired. 
Oklahoma lost at home. 50,000 OU fans sat in silence as the 10-game winning streak was snapped. Any hope of a national title for 1954 was all but gone. Then, the absolute unthinkable happened. Crouch walked to field judges Don Rossi and Don Looney. Yes, that same Don Looney, an All-American on TCU's 1938 national title team, and admitted to both that he had not caught the ball, he had merely trapped it as it hit the ground. Rossi exclaimed, I can't believe that boy admitted that he didn't catch it. I called touchdown. And if there was any fear that a former TCU champion would disregard this unbelievable act of sportsmanship for his alma mater, Looney responded, well, he didn't catch it. The play was ruled incomplete and the Sooners prevailed. Wilkinson Sooners had now won 11 in a row. But that's not the true story. It is nearly impossible to think of such an act of sportsmanship in a tightly contested game like this. If you called BS, you're right. According to a 2012 article in the Oklahoman by Barry Trammell, the catch-no-catch actually happened either in the second quarter with TCU leading 2-0, or in the third quarter following Harris's punt return with OU on top 7-2. Crouch initially argued that he had caught the ball to official Don Rossi as linesman Earl Schlupp ruled it incomplete. That's when former Marine, World War II vet, and TCU tackle Ray Hill entered the argument. According to the article, while Crouch argued with the officials, Hill punched his fellow teammate in tight end, which brought about Crouch's admittance that he didn't catch it. So, not so much an act of sportsmanship. But that may not be exactly what happened either. Flem Hall of the Star-Telegram at the time wrote that during the third quarter, on third down, Ronald Klinkscale, not Chuck Curtis as the undefeated tells. This is a completely different quarterback. On third down, Ronald Klinkscale fired a long pass that Kenneth Weinberg appeared to catch between two defenders deep in the end zone. Field judge Don Rossi, who was in the end zone, signaled touchdown, but Earl Schlupp overruled him, saying Weinberg dropped the ball and recovered it on a bounce. And now we go straight to the Horn Frog's mouth, so to speak. In a 1991 interview with the Oklahoman, Crouch went on to reveal the truth. I got after the official's butt pretty hard. Ray Hill then came over and said, hey, you better shut up or they're going to throw you out. And that's when I said, that's okay, nice call, and walked away. Now this seems more logical when you remember that this was not the final play of the game, but rather in the third quarter. Ray Hill wouldn't care about a teammate being tossed from the game on the final play. Rather, he'd be more concerned about a teammate being thrown out during the middle of a game with the contest still in doubt. The actual final play of the game occurred at the OU 7-yard line with TCU looking for the go-ahead and game-winning score. Thankfully, the Sooners' defense held, and Oklahoma ultimately prevailed 21-16. Well, that was fun. But other than the opponent, what does this have to do with this year's Sooner team or the 2020 matchup with TCU? While both teams are at much different levels in development, both were led by youth and inexperience. With that came mistakes that put the Sooners in positions to have to make winning plays late, something that young players aren't always going to be able to do. In 1954, this plagued Oklahoma in the TCU win and in eventual wins against Texas, Colorado, and the final game of the year against their in-state rival. Sound familiar? The 54 Sooners would go undefeated for the remainder of the season. Due to a weak schedule and some subpar performances in between, the Sooners were denied a national title that year, finishing third in the polls behind UCLA and Ohio State. But Wilkins's prophetic halftime speech proved true. The Sooners would not lose again until 1957 and would win the national championship in 1955 and 1956. If you're looking for some 2020 Oklahoma Sooner optimism drawing from these two seemingly unconnected teams, look no further than one of the larger problems facing this Oklahoma team. 
self-inflicted mistakes. Turnovers, missed tackles, or missed opportunities have played a part in Oklahoma's disappointing 2-2 record. The following week after OU's victory against TCU in 1954, the Sooners went down to Dallas to play in the Cotton Bowl against an average Texas team who finished 4-5-1 that year. On the opening kickoff, Oklahoma fumbled and Texas recovered, setting up a short field for the Longhorns in which they scored to lead 7-0 early. With the pressure now on Oklahoma, Jimmy Harris felt the need to do something a little unorthodox. Now remember, coaches aren't calling the plays. Bud Wilkinson expects Jimmy Harris to know what to do in any given situation according to Wilkinson's coaching and offensive philosophy. With a 4th and 1 deep in Sooner territory against his better wisdom and probably Coach Wilkinson's, Harris called a dive play to try and regain momentum in the game. Thankfully it worked as the Sooners gained 14 yards. They rode that momentum and eventually won 14-7, although Texas did have the ball late on the OU 10-yard line and once again the defense held strong and helped Oklahoma prevail. And this is the important part. This inspired Blackie Sherrod of the Fort Worth Press to write, The acid test of a good football team is whether it can conquer its own mistakes. Today, Oklahoma managed to do that. If the 2020 Sooners are going to avoid any more losses, they'll have to learn to conquer their mistakes. They showed that potential in the Cotton Bowl two weeks ago. Now we will see if they can do that tomorrow against TCU. Tell me who the highest graded players are on PFF. Highest graded players on PFF for the Oklahoma Sooners, my favorite website. Um, what a top three, top five. What, what did you ask? Uh, the top, just top players that are graded out on PFF. Um, okay. Chandler Morris, Spencer Rattler. Okay. And- okay. Let me give you a caveat here. Let's say has played more than. Is it a. Players that are heavily in the rotation, right? So, like, no Bray Walker, no Joseph Wete, none of that crap. Let's say that have played at least 50 snaps. Okay. Um, on defense. On defense. Yes. Okay. How about Josh Ellison? Oh. Well, let me just let me just name my three players. Number 12. Number 12. Okay. That like, was Josh Ellison. Okay, Josh Allison. Okay. I would then say, how about Jaden Davis? Number 19. Damn. Uh, Joshua Eaton has played like he what? He has played 17 snaps. Hmm. All right, you're just going to have to tell me. I've already guessed. Top, top five players that have played at least 50 snaps. You're going to have to tell me. Okay, number one, Isaiah Thomas. I probably should have said Isaiah Thomas, but I thought that was too easy. But, okay, makes sense. Number two, Nick Benita. Okay. Seeing a trend. Number th- number three, Woody Washington. Oh. Oh. Number four, Brendan Radley-Hiles. Ooh. Number five, David Aguebu. I wanted – like, I, I didn't think to say Aguebu because I thought – other than TCU, I thought he was kind of like a high risk, high reward player. He's either making like really he has good a tackle grade of eighty three point three. I mean, remember that remember that play against TCU? I think it was a third and four, and TCU just threw a quick pattern to the uh, slot guy. Yeah, and the receiver thought he could run around the six foot five behemoth in front well, of him. Well, like the thing about that play is Aguebu, according to where like where he caught him and where the first down marker was, Aguebu didn't have the angle. 
he didn't have the the angle at all, but he just swallowed him and kept him from going forward. Because I thought as soon as that play was complete, I'm like, here comes a first down, and Aguebu caught up to him and then just stopped him from falling forward. It was incredible. But that's when you're that big, that tall, and you can cover that much ground, and you're that strong, you can make plays like that. So, um, so what what you're saying is, uh, as we, what I'm saying is, is just providing you data. I'm just providing you data. I'm not, you know, where I stand with the world of pro football focus. I don't agree with a lot, but I do think it is quite interesting whenever you do look at it because, yeah. like, number th- the next the number, like Jordan Kelly has played 64 snaps, but he is next after that. Corey Roberson's played 48. He's after Kelly, Josh Ellison, Perry on Winfrey and then Trey Norwood, John Michael Terry. I think that should round out your top ten. So but I wouldn't agree with that list at all. Well, it does tell us that Oklahoma's defensive line is the best unit on their defense, and I think you and I, we've talked about that a ton. Uh, by the way, everybody, welcome to the Inside OU podcast. Uh, we're doing this over Zoom because the weather fucking sucks. This weather sucks, and I'm sorry, if you like winter, you're a weirdo. I'm sure you, I'm I sure like okay. I like winter more than the summer, but the pro I don't like this. This is ridiculous. This is sadly what you get some of the time. Like what you get with spring or summer, or sometimes you can get severe weather, and that does negatively affect a lot of people, unfortunately. And sometimes it can take our power away for a few hours or a few days. But this is ridiculous. I hate. Yeah. That. Did Did you see the image of? how many ice storm warnings that the National Weather Service has sent out here since 2007. Uh It's literally only like 15 to 20. It's not like it's an every year. I mean, mean, but it's like, you know, two or three times a year, if if, and sometimes not even at all. So it's – no, this is – people that are not from the state of Oklahoma, our trees are getting wrecked. Yeah. I mean – they it, the 2020 tried to come get our damn survivor tree like that's the final straw yeah. if they if it if it would have taken the survivor tree we should have just blown this whole thing up and restarted no i could be forgetting a year um because i don't care if it snows if it just like that's the problem with winter in oklahoma and i know it's technically not winter but the problem with winter in oklahoma is we rarely ever just get a day of just snowfall and it's pretty outside it's cool air it's not windy it's not raining sleet it's not dirt all over the place like we rarely have a nice winter day i think there was two years ago we had like a nice little snowfall other than that the last time it was this bad i think was like 2007 or 2009 in terms of just the ice all over the place pulling down trees and power lines um we don't have power here at the house I'm recording this at. I'm not at my apartment. My apartment doesn't have power. Uh, so obviously that's why we're doing this over Zoom. Like I put out on Twitter, apologies for the lack of the quality that you're used to, but we're trying to make do. But yeah, this is awful. Lincoln Riley incorrectly called it a summer day because like I said, it's fall. So Lincoln Riley clearly doesn't know the seasons. Uh, that's, that, that's disconcerting Keegan from your head. Clearly doesn't like me asking questions either here. Okay. Let's set this up before we get, I thought that was a good question. Let's get this. Let's set, let's set this up before we get into the meat of the podcast. Keegan, you asked basically about the future 
of the program. And also, you know, like I know the team probably isn't where you want it to be right now, but the future. And it's, it's a good question. I knew how he was going to take it. And it has nothing to do with whatever your opinion is of how of what his opinion is of you as a journalist or him at, of you asking him questions. I like, what did you expect Lincoln Riley to say? If he get, ideally gave you the answer that you were looking for. I guess I could have worded it in people that haven't heard that haven't heard this. My question was, you know, with, with the inexperience and the youth and 2020 and, that's the way the things have gone. I probably should have said just the, I should have mentioned growing pains that you guys are going through as a program right now as well. But I, my, what I was you know, kind of going for, and it's for a, a post that's going to go up tonight with some post game quotes that I, some of the questions I asked Lincoln um, on Saturday that I figured he would take it as if like, yeah, like, the you know the struggles that have been through this program this year are going to help us for the future like that kind of angle but he definitely took it and as if i was asking if basically you know punting on this year looking towards the future and like that's not what i was getting at at all and i don't know uh he didn't like my question saturday he didn't like a question two weeks ago nah we're getting into the uh, that kind of gray area now between my relationship with the old head ball coach at the University of Oklahoma, which I'm, I'm completely okay with. I like the edginess. He's gonna be, if he's gonna mouth back at me, I, I kind of like. It. He, he didn't mouth back at you, man. He didn't mouth back at you at all. He just, how is he supposed to answer that question? Like, because technically, this team still has stuff that it can achieve this season. They can technically still make the Big Twelve championship. They can technically still. They have goals that they can achieve this season. And like he said all year long, even after the loss to Kansas State, even after the loss to Iowa State, in his opinion, he feels that this team is very close. And after some, you know, some research that I did that we'll talk about later in the podcast, I tend to agree with him. So, like, sure, we can all, like, I've asked questions before, Keegan, to Thunder players or Billy Donovan, and I'll come away with going, I should have said it this way because the, the answer they gave me is not the answer I'm looking for. Um, or they just completely misunderstood my question, thinking I was coming at it from a combative angle, but I'm not. Maybe I should have worded it differently. Your question wasn't negative. I, I don't think it was combative at all. I just – I don't know how Lincoln Riley is supposed to answer that. Or any – like, screw Lincoln Riley, like any coach. It's 2020. Like, the fact – I guess my point, and my point is, again, the answer and kind of the angle I was going at was the fact that like, they've grown up the last two games. Whoa. Hopefully that wasn't the tree in my backyard that just fell. Oh, boy. That was loud. I don't know if you could hear that. but I didn't hear anything. Um, it's, uh, again, again, it's just I, how I would have perceived it. And, and I don't know. I'm obviously not a head coach. And answers can definitely give, you know, direction of where you're thinking your program's at. But, again, it's just – they are going through growing pains and this is going to help so much for the, and he's even brought this up on his own, I guess. And maybe it's not the answer. Were you watching it? Did you watch the press conference? I was listening to it. Okay. He did the, you know, 
like looked away from the camera again for like the third. I don't know. I don't have beef with Lincoln. I think he's awesome. I love the fact that he can be brutally honest. I hate that he hides some things sometimes, but I think that's every coach and every sport does that um, from the collegiate level on. No, I thought, you know, he was good today. I, I think that he is becoming more comfortable with this team and he's not having to defend them as much as he had to, you know, two weeks ago or three weeks ago. And I think that's good being that's good for his, you know, psyche and the way he's approaching the media because, you know, like, you know, you look after the Iowa State game. I mean, we all listen to the post game press conference and from the players and everything. And it was just combative. I mean, back to everything. So, or, you know, I think this way, you guys think that way. And I think we're all kind of getting on the same page. And it's, uh, it's going to be, uh, how do I say this? They should put up some points this week, and I wouldn't be surprised if they do. Oh, no question. That's what I was trying to say. No, no, no question. Um, I, I think, I think, you know, wrapping a bow on this with your question to Lincoln, I, I think if, let's say OU lost to Texas, which completely submarines this team season now, like in the short term. Now you can still, you know, grow this season, and then that can, you know, plant seeds that bear fruit in the future, which is the crux of your question, I assume. If this team had mm. nothing to play for, like no Big 12 championship in sight, if they win the rest of their games this season, which they very well could, they're probably the most talented team, except maybe Oklahoma State skill guys. But, I mean, I have an opinion about Spencer Sanders. We'll get there when we uh, get to Bedlam week. They're probably the most talented team compared to all the rest of their schedule. So, yes, they can still technically win all their games. They still have to have some help from some other teams losing games here and there to make the big goal championship. I think if they don't have any short-term goals this year, Lincoln probably goes, yeah, we're going to, we're going through growing pains this year. And the whole point is to get better win all the rest of our games this season. And then 2021. Yes. But we've, you and I have kind of talked about 2021. I, I can remember going back to 2017, 2018 of like 2021 is when OU really has an on paper chance to win a national championship in the last, you know, the preceding years, we're just all a little bit of overachieving considering how bad the defense was. And of course you've got generational quarterback play out of Baker and Kyler. Jalen hurts is a good enough quarterback to lead you and possibly win you a national championship. And he had a little bit of a better defense, but 2021 next season is supposed to be pretty damn good. And we're already seeing it out of this team, even though there are still some questions, even though there are still some mistakes um, a handful of times a game. I mean, Spencer Rattler, this offensive line, who will be probably losing Creed Humphrey, the skill guys, especially the guys I got coming in. And then the defense, you know, you just ranked off a lot of these great defensive players on this team, according to power football, pro football focus or whatever it's called. Um, even though we don't really agree with it, all those guys are going to be coming back next year. So it should spell like great success across the board for the team in 2021. Again, I just, I thought this year and people heard me say this in the preseason and maybe this summer that 2020 was the start of the opening of the national championship window for Oklahoma. Again, this is an offensive line that should have been able to put the entire team on its back. And again, and, and it's actually the opposite. It's the defensive line that's been putting the team on its back. Um, so they, I thought the windows open this year. Obviously, have a couple cough, couple a couple a couple cuff losses. I really just about said that a couple tough losses. Yeah, early early on in this year, and 
you know, you can, what can he point to with that? You can point to the turnovers in the Kansas State game, couple coverage busts, and then really four, five, six missed tackles against Iowa State. And you're talking about a five and zero football team with all the hopes and dreams of playing for a national championship in front of you. Um, again, they this is a program that is as healthy as it is in college football. I mean, as I mean, I it's hard to argue that there is really a program that's healthier. I mean, when you talk about they're this is they're not even good yet. I agree with Lincoln and Alex Rooms when they say that. Like this team, you I mean you go back to even you know twenty eighteen with that defense. Like this team's been really good, but not great, and they've been able to accomplish things ninety nine percent of other college football programs in the country would want to be able to accomplish. And now you're looking at twenty twenty one where you're going to have a bunch of experience back on defense. I mean, who are they going to lose? Isaiah Thomas, who who is, I mean, maybe. I think he still has a year back. I mean, if you don't consider him if, being a junior. If Ronnie Perkins comes back this season, which we've kind of talked about our doubts about that, uh, Jason Kersey from The Athletic, who joined me for the Media Corner, you'll hear a little bit of that conversation prior to – you've already listened to it if you're this far into the show, uh, the full – uh, the full interview, full conversations up on our Patreon page that you can listen to or watch. I put the video up there as well. He has his doubts as well. But if Ronnie does come back, I mean, we've always we've all assumed he's he's done after this year. So you lose Ronnie, you lose Isaiah Thomas, and I guess the hope is like the guys that could potentially return, like a Buki Radley, Hiles, um, Trey Brown, Patrick Fields. You just hope that the young guys they've got coming in with more experience, maybe a full off season if we're blessed enough to have a full spring, full summer, uh, this coming 2021, you hope that that elevates the level of play and that the competition is that much more, I guess, I mean, better to the point where Grinch feels a little bit more confidence to put in younger guys when a Patrick Fields or a Trey Brown aren't producing or they're making boneheaded mistakes like they've done time and time again. That's the hope. It should be the hope. And, Obviously, the hope is, is that you have a guy come in or you have guys that are within the program. Like, Lincoln was asked about Bryson Washington today. I'm glad, by the way. I'm glad someone asked about Bryson. Yes, I'm, I'm glad they too. The question should have been, how do you feel about his use of social media? <laughs> Instead of what the question that was asked. But overall, again, you know, to wrap this up, 2021, and, and we, you know, I think – you know, you, you, like you said, you date back to 2017 when Spencer Rattler committed to Oklahoma. All signs pointed towards 2021 being the year, the year. You get a defense that is respectable. Um, obviously, it's taken a couple years to get to that point. But, again, this is, a, this is a program that's healthy, that's extremely healthy. They're recruiting at an extremely high level. Um, even in even within comparison to what Oklahoma's done the last, you know, four, five, six years on the recruiting trail. And then obviously, like you said, your hope is is on defense. You have a guy like Bryson Washington, you have Joshua Eden, a guy like Latrell McCutcheon. If he can early enroll and get on campus in January, he can yeah. make an impact for you. Um, the competition defensively is only going to get better. I mean, the only place that is just a major question mark and it still makes no sense is linebacker. And you know, you're I, – I hate to be this way, but that's a group that could really hold them back. I mean, that the, the, if the linebacker plays like they did 
on Saturday against TCU, like they did down there at the Cotton Bowl, like they've played kind of inconsistent for much of this year. It's, I mean, it could really hold them back. So I don't, I don't necessarily understand why they're not loading up on trying to bring in two to three guys at that linebacker spot, but kind of is what it is. And they'll roll with Brian Asamoah and David Aguebu from what it appears to be. Um, and Deshaun White as well. But yeah, again, this is a, yeah, 2021 is the year. And I think the schedule sets up perfectly for them too, right? I mean, they don't play, a, they don't play a tough non-con. Which is they've got know, could be a good or bad thing. Yeah, they've got Nebraska, which is not tough by any stretch of the imagination. But it's, I guess, technically a rivalry game. It's going to be a game that Nebraska as a program is going to be circling to, like, hey, if we're going to make any progress under Scott Frost, here is like a big, um, infle- like an inflection point where we can either see it's moving in the right direction or it's not. Having said all that, I mean, oh, you should just destroy them just like Ohio State destroyed them last Saturday. I mean Nebraska does I'm gonna I'm gonna wager that the game the first game at Tulane at Yulman Stadium down there in New Orleans is gonna be a tougher game than the Nebraska game. This like here here's a silly thing. Like we need a vaccine for a lot of reasons. For a lot of reasons obviously one of the very very like minute all the way down at the bottom of this list reasons is I want OU to play Tulane on the road. I want to go to New Orleans. And also, I think it's a good little, um, you know, it's, it's obviously Louisiana. State of Louisiana produces a lot of high school talent. And I don't think it'd necessarily be a bad thing that Lincoln Riley, Alex Grinch, Jamar Kane, Calvin Thibodeau, Dennis Simmons, and those guys, the entire coaching staff will be in the state of Louisiana. So hopefully we're able to have – normalcy return in 2021 and that of course will lead into a normal 2021 football season i hope absolutely and again willie fritz and tulane could be a major problem with the way their offense runs i'm not saying major could be a early season problem i mean you saw what oklahoma's gonna have a full off season to prepare for it so that's a good thing it's not they run like a the a V or triple option out of pistol. It's awesome. Yeah. It it is awesome. By the way, I don't know if you've watched much of Tulane the last two years, but it is very fun to watch. But uh, but no, Brady, it's you know it it's uh it's a weird weird week, huh? Yeah, no, it's it's an incredibly weird week, especially considering like the weather here that we've already talked about. It's supposed to be bad again tomorrow. Um, oh, you didn't catch on. You didn't catch on to that, did you? I didn't catch on to that. Lincoln's at all. opening Lincoln's opening comments about Lubbock this weekend. What did he say? Like all I was focusing on was that the fact that he called it a summer day in Norman and it's like it, sir, it is autumn. <laughs> it's uh you know, he said that it's just a, it's a tough place to play. Yeah. Um, I mean every Road game in the Big 12 has been tough for Oklahoma going back to 2016. I mean, <laughs> I mean some people some people request numbers to back up their uh, their claims, I guess, and there it is. Oklahoma since 2016 has beaten conference opponents on the road by an average margin of 45 to 35. Oklahoma has only lost to Texas Tech on the road in Lubbock three times since I was 10 years old, and like you all know, by now, I am 30 years old. 
They lost in 05 to some questionable officiating. They lost in 07 because Sam Bradford got hurt on the second or third play of the game. And they got their asses handed to him in 2009. Other than that, it's just been wacky Big 12 trip to Lubbock. But we could say that about wacky Big 12 trip to Ames, wacky Big 12 trip to Morgantown, wacky Big 12 trip to Stillwater. Anytime OE goes on the road, Keegan, like I always have my guard up because it's that team Super Bowl. It's a night game, so that complicates things. The, the good thing is, and, J, and Jason talked about this on Media Corner, is it's not going to be a full-capacity stadium. It's not going to be a normal Saturday night game in Lubbock. It's not, it's not going to be the same thing. So that goes for OU. And then also, they've been road dogs this entire month, so they should be fully accustomed to how COVID restrictions have altered, you know, it's just not the normal traveling plans that college football players are accustomed to. I'm sure there's a lot more different uh, protocols that they have to follow. Oh, you should be very well familiar with all those things going into Lubbock on Saturday. It's going to be, let me say this. I don't think this Texas Tech seems good enough to beat Oklahoma defensively. But their punter, their punter can just boot OU to the one yard line. Yo, he, he had ass. one point had two. So he's really not that great of a punter, but no. he had two punts. His first two punts against West Virginia were for an average of 80.7. That <laughs> includes an 88-yard punt. So he – so again, he – but he, so he had a punt that was like a 70-yard punt before that. Yeah. Like, that is insane. Again, though, this is a – you know, this is a week where – I have updated my score already in my head from I thought Oklahoma I, I think Oklahoma's gonna should should and will be able to get into the fifties and sixties this week scoring wise. Um, but Texas Tech's offense is a little bit better than I thought. But again and, and again, I, I just it's a good thing for this young team that the, there is not a crowd. It's that, that if it was Halloween and Lubbock, man. I can't even imagine like there were the things that were said to Baker Mayfield were just an atrocity, just horrible. You don't like things that are just crossing the line that only drunk students in college would say, but the things that would be said to Spencer Rattler this weekend, if it was a full crowd on Halloween night in Lubbock, my God, Brady, my God, it's a good, I I think it's a good thing that there is not going to be a full crowd. Um, at, at Jones Stadium down there. No, but, I mean, look, fuck the atmosphere, fuck the crowd, like, screw all that. Oh, you should never lose a game because the crowd said mean things to their quarterback. If they lose a game, it's because – and especially we're talking – No, that's not my point. That's not what I'm saying. No, no. but it, it plays I'm a part. I'm just saying it's a, it's a good thing. Yeah, like, it, yeah, it, it certainly a- plays a part. What I'm saying is typically when OU has lost conference games – um, over the last few years, and you can even point to this season with their two losses to K-State and Iowa State. Typically, when they lose games in conference, it's mainly because of things OU does or doesn't do. Now, of course, you got to tip your hat to the opponent because um, they, of course, make plays. They make winning plays to win the game. But we're always talking about OU losing conference games, Keegan, in kind of the manner of, man, they started off slow or they had this stupid-ass quarter. Or, man, they turned it on, but they turned it on too late. So, to me, it's just more of what is OU going to be able to accomplish in order to win 
And if they lose, is it going to be because Spencer Rattler turns the ball over a ton? Is it going to be because the running backs fumble? Is it going to be because uh, the secondary commits all these penalties? Is it going to be because the uh, Tyrese Robinson holds every third down or every first down and puts the offense into a behind-the-chain situation? Is it going to be a bunch of stuff like that where OU just shoots themselves in the foot? And sure, like if there is a full crowd, if that's if those things happen, the crowd gets juicier, the atmosphere gets a little bit tighter, the pressure starts to mount, and then a young team can make mistakes. But they made mistakes at Ames in front of, what, 8,000, 15,000 people? I mean, cool. Like, OU just shot themselves in the foot a handful of times that game. It had nothing to do with being on the road. Oh, I agree. I agree completely. But it's just one of those places where – you know, things can things typically when they go bad and for not just Oklahoma, but for anybody, they snowball. Now, whenever you have a guy like Kyler Murray in 2018, it alleviates some of those issues. But I mean, look defensively in 2016. I mean, they just it just snowballed and it snowballed. And then that's a defense that as the year went on after that game played a lot better. So it's a. Uh, you know, Lincoln was asked about the maturity level of this team dealing with that down there at Texas Tech. I just, again, I, I, it, I don't want to say that it would have been a huge factor. Oklahoma should have gone in there and covered the 15-point line. They should do that this week. Um, that should be, the, obviously, the expectation every week. But whenever you talk about this, you know, this game and this matchup with Texas Tech, like it would have been hard to ignore the fact that this was a young team going into an absolute eviscerating atmosphere where all they want to do is just demean you the entire time and throw tortillas on the field. One, I love it. That's what's good about college football. But two, it definitely, I think, you know, if Oklahoma would have been a 15 point favorite and this would have been a full crowd, it'd have been tough for me to pick a score that would have had them covering that line. Like, Oh yeah. It sounded sounds a lot better um, than, uh, you know, I'm, I, I have, I think, 24 right now for Oklahoma so yeah no I mean I agree like I I, even at this point I'm a little bit hesitant to pick either OU to win the game outright or to win and cover the spread because this is still a young team um in deficiencies inexperienced youth all those factors you're going on the road which I already said OU basically wins by one score or 10 points which in my opinion kind of just tells more of a story of they're leading by seven or they find themselves in a position where they have to like go on one final drive to ice the game. And you can do that with a Baker Mayfield. You can do that with a Kyler. You can do that with a, even a Jalen Hurts in terms of the, you know, we're going to grind out the clock. You can do that. Can Spencer Rattler do that? We've really yet to see, because we've only really seen him be benched against Texas and then come back and have a great third quarter, uh, no show fourth quarter that probably had more to do with the play calling, not just him and then a phenomenal overtime, and then blow out TCU because he was just throwing Hail Marys all game long. In the two situations where the team needed their quarterback to make a play late in the game, unfortunately, he wasn't unable to. Now, you and I have already kind of talked about, yeah, he's made mistakes, but I think it's unfair to just simply say it's all Spencer Rattler's fault that, oh, he wasn't able to tie the game or win the game against K-State and Iowa State late. You, you don't want to put your – redshirt freshman quarterback in that situation in the first place that's why it's a team sport but here like I'll, I'll ask you this with with Texas Tech because Sam Sam Mays asked me this yesterday on the radio and I'm curious knowing what you know about Spencer Rattler knowing what you have seen from this team uh five games into the year 
Is there something to be said about they get a win against Texas, they get a win, a dominant win against TCU? Could they potentially be feeling themselves a little too much and then going into a road game against Texas Tech? I mean, has this team shown any shown anything to you from a leadership standpoint that a that won't happen or b it will happen, which could spell doom for OU or just another circus uh, Big Twelve road game on Saturday? Typically, yes. But Oklahoma, this is, you know, I'll just go ahead and throw it out there. One of my bold predictions for this week is going to be Oklahoma rushes for over 200 yards. Like, it would not shock me if they go for over 600 yards of offense on Saturday. With so, without, I mean, that's – Real quick, with or without Ramondre Stevenson, since technically that's still up in the air. Are we going to act like it's still up in the air, or are we going to act like he's playing? Well, since being the journalist that you are, you have to go by what you are uh, – what you can empirically prove and what we can empirically prove is Ramondre Stevenson's mother is going to Lubbock. <laughs> yes. That's again, that was about what I was about to say. There you go. With Ramondre Stevenson and this offense and with, with, with everybody in general, this should not be a problem for them to put up points I agree. at all. And that's not me because of the Texas, Texas tech game. I mean, this is from the Iowa state game. This is a defense that is not built to stop this Oklahoma, this style of offense specifically. Um, they run like a three-man front. It is a very soft 3-3-5. Three, three, they, uh, they don't get a lot of pressure up front, you know, so it's they should have a field day. And, again, I think this is the day that Oklahoma's running game gets going finally. You know, we'll talk more and preview it again on Saturday. They, again, this is an offense this week. I think the defense gonna, it's going to be a good test for this defense. I like this grad transfer quarterback. Um, I like that they have a bunch of young skill guys. I mean, if you remember, Miles Price um, was committed to Oklahoma State, flipped to Texas Tech. If it's a receiver that's going to go to Oklahoma State, I mean, he was probably pretty damn good, really good evaluation uh, from Casey Dunn and the, the, especially that offensive staff up there in Stillwater. So, you know, it's going to be it's going to be an interesting week, and you can tell Lincoln <laughs> knows that there is a challenge ahead. You know, Spencer has a couple turnovers like Kyler did in 2016 or in 2018. You know, this could get interesting, but he played his first turnover-free football game, and this isn't a defense that's going to test. They shouldn't push back on Oklahoma like a TCU can at times, like a Texas can at times, like an Iowa State can, Kansas State. This will be probably the worst defense they've faced up to this point. And I think that there should be some confidence that regardless of the maturity level, regardless of the inexperience, the youth, all of that combined, that this, this is a week where Oklahoma, this is a prove it week. It reminds me a lot of the Baylor week in 20, 2018 that led up to that Texas game to where some people were like, okay, Kyler is suspended. You know, there's something going on. You know, he got suspended for one drive, but um you know, it, it reminds me a lot where people were sort of like, eh, you know, Baylor's defense is kind of good, you know, Brewer, you know, blah, 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 blah. And then they come out and put up 66. And Kyler has the best – one of the best days as a quarterback in Oklahoma history. So, they uh, – yeah, they, I mean, they, they, they should have no problem. Um, the majority level of this team's going to be tested, though, which is a good thing. And yeah. it, I'm interested to see how they respond to, the, to that and see how they respond – just in general, I mean, you want to take steps. You know, this is a, a big week for the program. You know, we're talking about the future. I asked about the future today. You know, this is a big step for the program and for them to take, you know, a stride towards 2021 or a stride towards winning a Big 12 championship this year. 
I mean, I think it's still out there or left in front of them. Um, you know, you, hey, there's a lot of tiebreakers involved, but, you know, I, Oklahoma State's not perfect. Kansas State's not perfect. Iowa State could lose two or three more games. So it's, you know, it's always out there for them. And, you know, we'll see how they – we'll see how they answer the call. It should be a good week. Um, I have no concern, which if you've followed me this year, it's been a roller coaster ride of predictions. I think COVID can play a huge factor into that. Um, I'm going to blame my lack of ability on predicting games as well as I did a year ago um, on the pandemic because I can and it's 2020. <laughs> no, um, hopefully weather kind of gets better after Tuesday so we can go to Vanessa House on Thursday for the Texas Tech uh, matchups pod. But, uh, yeah, I'm looking forward to it because, I mean, the offense is trending to, towards the, the direction of somewhat mirroring more so of what Lincoln Riley's offenses at OU have looked like over the last few years. I mean, they, they, they beat TCU somewhat in dominant fashion, but they didn't exactly put down a lot of rushing yards other than throwing three or four deep balls. The passing game was almost there. It's just a young team is almost there and it's kind of looking towards Lubbock for, okay, this is when the offense really starts clicking. And that's the hope. If the offense goes out there, turns the ball over, can't run the football, even with Ramondre Stevenson, uh, if receivers drop balls continuously, then that'll definitely be a bad sign, even not just for this season, but okay, what do we actually have here with a lot of these young guys? But uh, more on that on Thursday. Uh, Keegan, what I did want to talk to you about is here, I'll just, I'll just straight up ask how much, how much did you look at my thread on Twitter? I've, I, when you sent it to me originally, and it makes a lot of sense. I mean, we talked about this on Saturday, right? Um, before the postgame pod. So, no, and it, it makes a lot of sense. But it's, it's so weird that, like, it's really just the – I mean, it's the conversation – I guess it's weird. But it's the conversation we've had for three weeks now. I mean – it's two guys on defense that are costing. And, you know, whether Buki has a high grade or not, I don't think he's been as good as what the grade is. I don't know. I would love to get, you know, I mean, for all of PFF, I, I want to know what goes into those rankings and the grading, yeah. all of that. They won't ever let us know. But to your, you know, to the thread, to what you're about to discuss, I mean, it's a problem. I have – and again, it's the three players we've talked about ad nauseum for the last three to four weeks. And this is not a tape that Tyrese Robinson, as you've already started to see in my film breakdown. And again, with that real quick, sorry guys on that. It's yesterday became with the Ronnie Perkins stuff and Caleb Williams announcing his move to Oklahoma became a lot busier for me than I thought it was going to. Um, and then obviously wrote some good stuff on Sunday. So that's getting finished up right as we get done with this. But Again, this, is, this isn't a tape that Tyrese Robinson's going to want to see. And I don't know how PFF graded him out um, from the game, but they just, you know, they – something has to give is what I'm trying to say. Something yeah. has to give, and they've got to – and they've got to figure something out. Yeah. I mean, with me, the frustration isn't necessarily that it's two or three guys because any season 
two or three players are going to have – they're going to lead their teams in penalties. Like, that's just the way it goes. The problem with me is just simply that it's the same two or three guys, but it's just – you can point to those penalties as they directly led to a loss. You know, like, we, we can sit here and sure. say – we can sit here and say missed tackles, you know, against Iowa State. And sure, that played a part, but you're going to miss tackles. Like, you're going to miss tackles in games. And sometimes you're even going to miss tackles that's, that lead to a 65-yard touchdown uh, play like Jaden Davis had against Iowa State. But what you can not do is hold a receiver who has nothing to do with the play, who, has not, who, who is not the intended target, on a third and long in which Brock Purdy gets sacked, then you get the hold, then you give him a first down, and then they score a touchdown. And then you look up at the scoreboard after the game, and it's like, oh, you lose by one touchdown. So to me, it's, it's not necessary that it's just these three or four players that we've kind of harped on over and over. Because you know what? Some players are just going to be flagged more than others. Um, and the unfortunate thing about being a secondary per, uh, player, if you get a flag – you are technically extending the drive because if it's a hold, if it's pass interference, it's automatic first down. Um, I did my best to go through the play-by-play and I put it out on some more tweets afterwards. I did my best on the play-by-play to discern between uh, flags that were, let, let's say that there was one instance where Patrick Fields had a holding call in the first half against Iowa State. And I didn't consider it a drive extender because it did give the Iowa State a first down, but they punted like on the following set of downs. So in the grand scheme of things, it didn't really matter that much. Um, there have been some holding calls on the offensive line that OU's offense was able to overcome. So I don't count those as drive killers as well. Um, I tried my best to discern as much as possible to really paint the picture. It was just, you know, it was mainly just an exercise, Keegan, of, I don't want to always harp on Trey. I don't always want to harp on Buki or Pat Fields or Tyrese Robinson. I want to make sure that there's some merit to it before I just keep ranting about it. But it's not just those guys. I mean, Adrian Ely is just as um, he's just as culpable for some drive killing penalties as Tyrese Robinson. You just it there's been more of a a trend in the right direction for Adrian Ely more so than Tyrese Robinson. But to me, it's just. What sucks about it is unless the offense truly clicks on Saturday, like we're saying that it could potentially be doing, if they find themselves in somewhat of a shootout, like we've seen in Lubbock over the last few years, one or two penalties from the usual suspects can lose OU a game that they would probably win if those same guys aren't making the same stupid penalties. See, I, you know where I stand on this. I, I definitely point towards the turnovers, um, coverage busts against Kansas State and the missed tackles against Iowa State more than the penalties um, because those are – I mean, those are just plays that have to be made and, you know, or decisions that can't be made. So that's where I stand on that aspect of it. But in terms of the penalties, and again, I, I said this a second ago, they – it is the same three guys. I mean, it's Tyrese Robinson, it's Buki Redley Hiles, and it's Pat Fields. And, you know, obviously Pat had a better game on Saturday against TCU. Buki was Buki. Um, but Robinson was his normal self too. And it's I, what gives? At what point do you have the conversation of we've got to split reps, we've got to get a guy ready? Um, because this is – it can't happen. I mean, they, again, this is 
I've said and again a lot today. Thanks, Lincoln Riley, for that. <laughs> Shout out to him for giving me that phrase. But this is a team, they can't, the margin for error is so slim with this young youth and experienced team that they, they can't have these penalties. They can't have these turnovers. They can't have these mental lapses in the running game. I mean, I've already pointed out one so far, and there's more that are in there from Saturday's game where if, you know, Tyrus Robinson just gets to his guy, if, you know, Anton Harrison gets to his guy, like these runs go for 30, 40, 20, 30, 40 yards, and yeah. they result yeah. in either a tackle for tackle for loss or, or they don't. So it's, you know, it, it's the same conversation, and I think it's going to be the same conversation we continue to have. And, and I looked it up during the time Tyrese Robinson was the lowest graded offensive lineman from Saturday's game. And that, I mean, even with pro football focus, it's like, well, of course, I mean, that's not surprising at all, but the other side of the equation, Keegan is look, we we've, we've watched football for a long time and we've seen probably a handful of players that get flagged a lot, but if they're playing a lot, the hope is, well, they get flagged a lot because they're aggressive. Hopefully they make plays Trey Brown had the game-winning interception. Cool. It was thrown directly to him, and he caught it. It was basically an arm punt. Um, but outside of that, Trey Brown isn't making plays. Outside of this, Tyrese Robinson is not grading out as the best offensive lineman uh, for a game. And in his limited snaps against TCU, Chris Murray looked like that guy. He looked like, okay, he's just clearly better than Tyrese Robinson. Um, in his li- and then Pat Fields is not making plays. Buki Bradley Isles is not making plays. So not only are not only are they making so many mistakes that hurt the team overall, they're not making plays to counterbalance it. So to me, that's the frustrating thing. But the good news is with Trey Brown, you know, he's been losing playing time here and there to Woody Washington, um, who has played and performed well in everybody's opinion. Uh, Tyrese Robinson, the hope is we get to see more Chris Murray and maybe he gets a ton of penalties. We don't know, but I mean, it's just, Hey, Tyrese Robinson is killing OU. Uh, not with just his penalties, but his play on the field at times. Um, the bad news is Keegan is there's just really nothing that OU can do about Buki. Like Jeremiah Cordell is either not ready or he's just never going to be that guy. Second year in the program and he's not getting a lot of playing time. And at this point we know what Justin Broyles is and that, that's not the route that you want to go either. On TCU's only scoring drive that mattered, Justin Broyles was out there. He missed a big tackle on that drive. So they're stuck with Buki. But, yeah, you know, they don't, they don't have a replacement at nickel yet. You know, Justin Broyles got his chance on Saturday. Kind of, I don't know, if Delaren Turner-Yale makes that tackle or at least wraps up, like Justin Broyles was coming in for the kill shot, which is, I think is fine. Um, now the fact that DeLaren Turner Yell wasn't able to, and uh, yeah, that's a guy that's regressed from the Iowa State game. I mean, he has not been good the last two weeks, and no. it's that's that's a not a good sign um, for him. Whenever you've got a guy like Justin Harrington and Bryson Washington waiting in the wings, so again, he's uh, they've got things they've got to figure out. They've got areas of improvement across the board but I think you can upgrade in some areas with some certain players I'm not going to say Chris Murray's the answer quite yet either I mean that I mean it's clear that 
you know, Oklahoma's pass protecting at a high level right now. And that's every guy. Like yeah, all not, five offensive linemen and the running back are pass protecting. I, I'm not saying that he's the answer either. But what I'm saying is, is we're at a point now where you need to try something else. Because with Tyrese Robinson, it's it's either he's having boneheaded penalties that put the team behind the chains. And this is not an offense led by Baker, Kyler, or Jalen. Like this offense cannot overcome behind the chains penalties at the rate that those offenses probably could. It's either that or he's just missing blocks. So I, I think they're just at a point now where you've got Chris Murray. You need to see what you have in him. And if Chris Murray doesn't give you a net positive, then sure, platoon him. They don't have any problem platooning left tackle. <laughs> yeah. It's they uh it's no, weird. They, it's you know it, it's you look at this team and heading into the rest of the season, you're you're at the midway point now. I know we did grades during the bye week a couple weeks ago or last couple weeks ago, yeah. You know, so but you know, you're at you're at this midpoint of the season and I mean, I'm not saying that it's time to look ahead to the future. You're still in a big toll title race and you're doing this and you're doing that. But I mean, Bryson Washington's your guy. Like, I hate to be that way. Like people inside the program think he's really good. Like really, really good. Like physical, wants to come up and hit you in the mouth. Cover skills are a little like uncertain. But I mean, if he can play, he needs to play. And um Obviously, a tweet can definitely hurt some things. So it's not a surprise he's kind of getting the cold shoulder. And, you know, Justin Harrington comes back next year. You insert, you know, a couple really good defensive backs that they've gotten. Damon Harmon, uh, granted he signs with Oklahoma here. And, by the way, crazy that it's 50 days until now. Like, we're almost right at or – under whatever 50 days till national signing day the first one um because from how by all accounts i think all these guys are going to sign for the most part um, yeah which is crazy which is nuts considering you know like damon Harmon, you put that guy where patrick fields plays in two years and you're looking real good like he is he will be a one of my top of the you know, ranking whatever my like one through however many guys Oklahoma sign, like he will be near the top probably five, six, seven guys in this class. Like he is he is really good. He I think he'll be higher than Kelvin Gilliam is, his his own teammate. So I'm not again, I'm not sitting here saying I didn't ask Lincoln about looking ahead to the, the you know, punting on the season, looking to the future. I didn't say, you know, none of that. It's just I think whenever you add in the factor, Brady, of COVID the things this team's had to go through, the growing pains at quarterback, the struggles of losing two games and those, those feelings and the, you know, the not feeling like you're living up to the expectations, the, you know, defensively continuing to go through growing pains and with Alex Grinch. I mean, I think this, you want to talk about success in the future. I think this, that points it directly to it. And uh, it's important you know, for this team and this program, I think to kind of have gone through that. I'm not saying this is like 2016 losing two games and then Baker Mayfield playing like the best quarterback in college football. Like that's, I think that's a different conversation, 
But, you know, 2005, losing all those games for some of those young guys on defense um, that end up being really good players for the 2007, 2008 team and seeing kind of what the expectations were like, it's important. I mean, it, it is important to go through a year like this. Not every year needs to go smoothly. And again, you know, they're, they're, I think they're at a point right now to where they can go one of two ways. They can keep building or they can slip back and second guess themselves about how good they can be. Right. And this is a, a big week, I think, for the team and this program. And it's going to be abundantly important that they go down there and just kick the ever loving dog shit out of Texas Tech. I mean, that I truly feel that way, that this is a week where, like I said, it's that Baylor week where people were kind of questioning you still after the Army game. Like, how good are you? You know, you go down to Fort Worth and beat a an average or below average TCU team. Okay, answer the call. Go down to Lubbock, beat a team that a pretty good West Virginia team, like a av- above average West Virginia team could not come out of there with a win. Yeah. And, you know, we'll see what they're made of um, on Saturday. But I'm, uh, again, I, but they, you know, they're at, a, they're at a point right now where they can go one of two ways. And I'm, I'm looking forward to see how they respond. Me too, me too. But uh, Keegan, let's let's not tempt the uh, hot spotting from my cell phone gods' fate any longer. Let's wrap this one up. Um, everybody, apologies. I'll do my best to edit this one down. We lost some connections like during the actual recording of the show a handful of times. So uh, we did our best. But Oklahoma Weather has other things to say about podcasting and all that. But uh, we will also do our best to hopefully make it down to Vanessa House on Thursday for the Texas Tech matchup pod 530. Of course, that is going to be weather permitting or if Vanessa is going to be open. Uh, we don't we won't we don't know if we're going to get power back around that part of the city just yet on Thursday, but we will of course let everybody know. Uh, but Keegan, thank you. Uh, and everybody else, thank you so much for listening to the Inside OU podcast. Greatly appreciate it.